0: Hello and welcome to the Tartan Tardigrade. This is a podcast brought to you by the UK Centre for Astrobiology at the University of Edinburgh. In the podcast, we talk to astrobiologists from around the world about their research, their careers and anything else that comes to mind. In this episode, we were joined by Catherine Harris from the University of Kent. She talked to us about impacts and their influence on life in the universe.
1: Hey, uh, my name is Dr. Catherine Harris. I'm currently a postdoc working at the University of Kent as part of the Kent Impact Group, where essentially we have a big gun and we hit things very hard to see what happens. Um, and we pretend it's planetary sciences. <laughs> um, so my background is actually geology and um, did my undergrad at Royal Holloway University of London in geoscience. Very exciting. And then uh, went on to do a PhD in meteoritics at the Open University. I make good self, and um, now impact cratering and looking... Mainly my focus is looking at the shock effects of different planetary materials, but as part of that, um, astrobiology is a key aspect, uh, including especially when we're looking at ice worlds and icy bodies.
0: So could you explain a little bit more about the light gas gun, maybe? Yeah, of course. So the light
1: gas gun is... um, essentially a gun which many people think it's a, it's like a air rifle, which it isn't. It's a room-sized gun which um, allows us to use the compression of light gases, such as hydrogen and helium, hence the name light gas gun. And the compression and the re- sudden release of that gas actually allows us to accelerate the projectile up to, at the moment, 7.5 kilometres a second. And down to the slowest we can do is about five hundred meters per second so the reason we need this to be so quick is that we're trying to replicate the impacts that are happening in the solar system and okay many of them are happening at a lot of higher speed than that but in the asteroid belt for example, the average is about five kilometers a second, which we can achieve easily
0: and what kind of like the what things do you put in there and what do you shoot? Uh, at? so
1: essentially it's extremely versatile so what we can do is you come up to us and say we want to fire this, we will find a way to fire it. So we have fired day-to-day if we just want to have a look at, for example, an impact into a type of rock to simulate a different uh, planetary material, we'll just use a ball bearing. You know, up to three millimetres is, is as big as we can go at the moment. But... Um, stick enough uh, energy behind that, you can make a pretty big hole. What we can also fire is ice, which is um, what we actually use when we're starting to investigate the astrobiology side of things. So what we've done in the past with ice is actually freeze things within the ice and then fired them into water, collect the water, um, filter it all out, and then collect the thing where we were fired in the first place. So we've done this with bacteria. We've done it with yeast and seeds, tardigrades we've tried it with as well and um yeah and that's all encased within ice and we've also actually managed to fire water but that's a little bit more difficult as you can imagine because it's horizontal
0: and is the ice meant to simulate what the things would be in or is he, or are you just using it as a useful
1: it's a useful medium of, basically yeah. to because you can't it's very hard to extract um the a bacteria say trying to put that alone inside a, a um, sabo because the, project, the projectiles are within a discarding sabo so as it flies the sabo uh, holds the projectile in place initially projectile continues down and the sabo is discarded with the ice um, uh, the actual the, actually the sabo goes with it because um, it's a different type of sabo my apologies so what it, uh, the ice acts as a medium basically to for us to fire the material that we're interested successfully. And it does also, in the idea of panspermia, it does act as a possible medium that we're going to include. So, you know, as soon as you got material going in a droplet of water hitting the um, space, it's going to become ice. So it it does allow that um, to happen as well. Looking at it from the other side, as I say, with these, we actually capture them in water and it's very unlikely that they're going to hit a body of water, right? But what we're actually looking at there is the shock pressures. We can simulate the kind of correct shock pressures that we think they, can, uh, they would experience hitting a rock or something or a regular body. And so from there, okay, the target isn't actually quite right, but the shock pressures they their experience is. What's the most interesting result, in your opinion, you've had using the, the gun? On the astrobiology side tardigrades will survive an awful lot (laughs) Um,
0: I was going to ask uh, the podcast is actually called the Titan tardigrades
1: oh right (laughs) well so I know could you you tell
0: us yeah you've been shooting tardigrades yes you've been shooting things at tardigrades and shooting tardigrades at things we've been
1: shooting tardigrades at things so this is actually the work that a PhD student of ours did and, um, so she, uh, wrote all this up and unfortunately we haven't actually then continued with this yet, but, um, we've just got some money to continue with some astrobiology work. So that's going to be exciting. Um, but yeah, so the grades I thought was very interesting because they can survive an awful lot. I can't recall off the top of my head. It is in my talk, <laughs> but, uh, off the top of my head, I can't recall exactly it, but it's higher than you'd expect about four kilometers a second. I think I can't remember the, the um, shot pressures for that.
2: I'm assuming they're in a cryptobiotic state. That makes sense. I mean, they... Yes. This, yeah. they would be in like a little tonne state when they're super... Was that you
0: you grew them, put them in, got them into a the tonne state and then put them in ice or something like that.
1: So, uh, of course, what we did is uh, the freezing process we tested out beforehand to make sure they didn't kill them. Um, so, and so they... they, were, I think they got to the point where they were happy and they were moving and everything. We then froze them so that they're in a... Hibernation state, and I, I don't know if the same as. Um, okay, uh, so yeah, they're in a kind of hibernation state, and then of course because that's how we fire them when they freeze, then that's how they're fired, or that's how they're that's how they experience the shock. And then um, what we did is that we then filtered the water, extracted them as well as we could, and then see if they moved again, um, which they did.
0: Because it's, awesome. it's it's a little known fact that tardigrades, when they're not in that state, they're actually super easy to kill.
1: Oh, like right. they, they,
0: they can get very unhappy with things. Like we've had some in our labs where you just have them in a Petri dish and they...
1: And they're like, nope. You poke them
0: in the wrong <laughs> no. way, yeah.
2: Um, so apparently they, they need a very, very slow rate um, of adding an extreme something to their environment. Ah, okay.
1: But where, um, whereas in the hibernation state, they're able to... Yeah, once they're in that area. state, then yeah. they're
2: like super, super strong. But um,
1: So if we were to put them into the same pressure, but somehow in a liquid water medium when they were still alive... Yeah. then um yeah it's possible that they wouldn't survive that that's really interesting yeah
2: i once hosted a journal club about uh, fossils on the moon and it was a paper oh, did you? yeah so <laughs> it was a paper that came from kent
1: yeah um, I, I don't, I don't think it
2: was by you but it was probably no, by it, it, um, well, the work
1: was by me yeah. it was written by my boss um that was a McDermott paper wasn't it I which think so. was my name 2012, before I, got married. I think 2012
2: maybe or th- 13 yeah <laughs> I, I thought it was really interesting. Uh,
1: okay, well, thank you. <laughs> the, the
2: idea of um, with, you know Earth fossils on the Moon, and it, it would be fantastic from a from a paleontological point of view because uh, anything that's sitting on the Moon right now is like super well preserved. Yeah. So if we have fossils, you know, which are super ancient, back to the Archean period, uh, it could be the best place to to study fossils. On no, the it's.
1: Um it's a really interesting idea that we have because like i said this, this this work basically continued on from um okay, we fired bacteriified this but what about what other things could we fire and i was, I was like, and then i was we were we all sat considering and it was like well if you've if you've got meteorites land from Mars or the the earth coming to earth, you've got earth earth material landing on there, what if that was fossiliferous essentially, so that's what um spurred that, and so yeah we Started with, um, oh, I can't even remember, what are they called? diatoms, yes, we started with diatoms, then we actually also fired um, some small nautiloids, I think, and um, and that was in a, a, a later paper, but yeah, the fact that you could easily identify, if you knew what you were looking for, obviously, easily identify parts of the diatoms was a really interesting um, outcome as you say and yeah the way we did it was exactly the same way as with the tidal grade we froze everything and again we checked beforehand to make sure that the freezing didn't actually crack or change anything with the diatoms themselves and it didn't so yeah it was exciting and as you say if there are fossils from earlier periods that as you say from the Archean, which would be amazing and they are preserved on the moon i mean the only thing is they're going to be tiny the chances of finding them are extremely small but it could be done.
2: <laughs> has, has anyone ever tested this? Larger fossils? Uh, like not, not as i Animal fossils or... Sorry? Animal fossils or um, anything.
1: Like I said, um, shells we touched upon briefly, but due to the limitations of our gun, um, like I say, we can only go up to three millimeters. We can't get much beyond there. Um, but it would be interesting to see just how much it breaks up the, diff- the different kind of materials as well because we've, we've of course have done diatoms and shells but yeah actual bone could be quite interesting too
2: i think i guess i'm asking um do we expect to find a t-rex on the moon
1: <laughs> oh yeah no <laughs> not not clearly anyway you might find a, a minuscule fragment but you're not, we're not going to find an actual t-rex skull if we do i'm, I'm quite happy to prove them wrong <laughs> but i doubt it
0: That sounds like one reason why astrobiologists should care about impacts. And you've also touched on panspermia. Yes. And things like that. Can you kind of, I know it's quite broad, you know, what's the summary of why impacts are important for life in the universe?
1: Yeah, of course. um, Essentially, every single body in, in our solar system has been impacted and experienced high shock events. So if you've had any life that has existed in any form on those surfaces, for them to then continue, they would have had to experience and survive, or not survived, these shock events. So this is why this is one aspect why it's, it impacts is very important when it comes to um, astrobiology. And to be honest, today if a big enough impact comes and hits Earth, it's going to wipe it all of us out. So exactly the same thing has <laughs> occurred, except for the tardigrades, of course. They're going to be fine. Um, so this is why um, impact and also understanding how different kind of um, animals and um, life, such as, um, like I say, we've done uh, bacteria, yeast and seeds, how they all respond to these high shock events. So to understand how the life we see today has adapted and existed, we need to understand how they survived the heavy bombardment and things like that and it also gives us an idea of what to expect you know we know and the thing is we can only comp- we can only use what we know today what ex- what does exist so it's a bit in and out really but it is important and the idea of panspermia obviously is the um, idea of life being transferred trans from one body to another so life from earth if a like I say if a meteorite comes in and ejects a body a rock from earth and that rock has bacteria in it what is the likelihood of that bacteria surviving the secondary impact onto another body so the whole idea of panspermia relies on the knowledge of impacts and how um, different um, life forms respond to it so with the the asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs is it possible that that impact could have shot rocks in, with, with bacteria or life on it out into space? It could have landed on Mars or oh, yeah, something like that? Um, I think one that big definitely um, would have done because, I mean, we have um, tektites, which obviously have um, our material that have ejected, and then they've then undergone extreme heating and everything, but they fall back to Earth. It wouldn't take much more energy to just be able to for that tektite to not be a tektite to become a meteorite and go and land elsewhere. I mean, the chances are astronomical, <laughs> but we get uh, meteorites from Mars on, on Earth and we get meteorites from the Moon. So it's easy to say that it can be reversed.
0: Um, so you talked a little bit about your uh, career history so far, and you're currently a postdoc um, at the University of Kent. Do you have any tips that you would, you would pass on to people further down the chain than yourselves?
1: Uh, yes, always have tips. Um, when opportunities come along um, for training, for anything, do them. Um, even if you think to yourself, "Oh my, recent, you know, I should, I can't take a week off to go and do that training," do it because when it comes to um, the next job, the next event. Uh, the next application, you need to show that you're better than everybody else. So having the training, having the experience, go to conferences, even if it's just a local one and network as well, get your name out there. And it is partially down to luck as well. So make sure you have all those opportunities. You're the best person you can be when those opportunities come along is the best thing I can say. Network and train. (laughs)
0: Is, is there anything you would have done differently?
1: Applied, apply for fellowship sooner. But the thing is, you have to have your idea. And I didn't have my idea until I started applying. But start thinking about the next step as soon as you get to, to the current step. <laughs> so you two should be thinking about postdocs. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> but no, there's nothing I don't think of. I'm very happy where I am. Nothing I'd do differently. Do you have any advice for people who aren't sure what they want to do yet, if they want to go on to a postdoc or not? Fair um, Yeah, it's not for everybody at all. And I think the best thing you can do is talk to people who are in that position, get their experiences. Everyone's experience will be different and see if that helps you decide.
0: Do you uh, believe that there is or was ever life on Mars?
1: Life on Mars?
0: No, at all? No. Okay. Do you I'll, think be hap-
1: a- I'll be happily pl- proved wrong.
0: Do you think there's life anywhere else?
1: I, also, I always refer to Arthur C. Clarke when people ask me this question. I get asked it a lot, especially at outreach events. And that is either there is life in the universe or there isn't additional life. Um, either aspect is equally terrifying. So that doesn't answer your question at all, (laughs) but it's a nice
0: question. Uh, And and if we were to find evidence
2: for life, how would you react?
1: I'd be over the moon. I think it'd be amazing. And then I'd be terrified.
2: (laughs) When um, when Adam asked you about life elsewhere, um, were you thinking about beyond our solar system as well? Yes. Really? No,
1: uh, yeah, and... Now that exoplanets are coming in and they, they are very similar to Earth and well, they seem to be anyway. I mean, of, of course, we're, we can, we're only finding the big ones at the moment because of the techniques and everything. But the more and more planets we find, the more and more likelihood that, you know, we can't be. Yeah. We can't be. Yeah. are the only one. But
2: I mean, it seems very <laughs> unlikely that we're alone in the universe.
1: It does. But,
2: <laughs> but I, I totally agree with you about the solar system. I, I actually... I'm not convinced that the solar system had mm. anything other than Earth.
1: No, and, uh, yeah, I mean, the Goldilocks Zone Zone, things like that, and just the, 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 well, life as we know it, anyway, that is so dependent on water and carbon and things like that and the right temperatures in which we, we sit. I mean, yeah, I, I, I do agree with you, but beyond, I mean, it's just, the chances of they're not are just so astronomical. Um but where, will we ever meet them? Will we ever contact them? I don't think so, which is depressing
2: mm, I agree
1: <laughs> do you think there would be intelligent life or more just um simple life again I, I just i don't think that we can that we're the only ones I just we can't be you know so there must there must be intelligent life but I mean if you look on on earth itself, we've got intelligent life and we've got bacteria and things like that, just normal life. Normally, <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I believe that there would be a, a range. It just—it just seems Im- it seems rather arrogant to think that we're the only ones. But again, like I say, I, I would refer that to R. C. Clark. Both are equally terrifying.
0: <laughs> okay, well, that seems like a good point to finish. So, okay. thank you very much, Catherine. No, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Tartan Tardigrade. If you'd like to find out more about the UK Centre for Astrobiology or Astrobiology in general, you can visit our website at astrobiology.ac.uk. You'll also find links there to the other episodes of the podcast and a link where you can subscribe via the University of Edinburgh podcast service.